This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As I alluded to a moment ago, I am so over these World War II analogies for modern-day foreign policy. And uh, there's an award-winning American journalist by the name of Stephen Kinzer who uh, very humorously announced that he is forming a society for abolishing World War II analogies. That is one of the things cited in a brilliant column that I read recently by Dr. Jeffrey Roberts, who is a very bright guy, very accomplished historian, biographer, political commentator, uh, author of several books, including Stalin's Library, A Dictator and His Books. Dr. Jeffrey Roberts, thanks so much for, join- for joining us from across the pond. Hi, Frank. So, uh, Dr. Roberts, by the way, I I have not read your book, but I'm intrigued by it. I am curious, what sort of books did Stalin make a habit of reading? Well, all all kinds of books. Uh, He was interested in uh, all kinds of uh, subjects, history, politics, economics, philosophy, arts, literature, science, all kinds of stuff. Uh, By the time he died, there was about 25,000 or so books uh, in his uh, in his personal in his personal library. Yeah. So he was he was a huge reader. And my argument in that particular book is that to understand Stalin, you know, you know, we need to understand that he was an intellectual. Yeah. And uh, ideas and reading were central to his mental universe. And 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 if we don't understand that, we don't understand what books he read, how he read them, and what use he made of them as a political leader, then we can never understand Stalin. Well, I think that's uh, really intriguing. I'm actually going to order your book uh, right now. But so many of us think of people that are well-read as being very bright and that maybe with that intelligence comes some degree of wisdom. Uh, History, at least Western history for the most part, has uh, has judged uh, Stalin for the most part as as a pretty bad guy a pretty brutal dictator. Why did none of the 25,000 books that he read kind of lead him in another direction that would have in, would not have involved sending people to political prison camps and being sort of an autocratic dictator? Well, well Stalin was certainly a pretty bright guy, and actually he had a lot of wisdom. Uh, but the thing you need to understand about Stalin, okay, yeah, he was an intellectual, but he was a particular kind of intellectual. He was an ideologue, he was a Marxist, he was a communist, right? So he had this driving kind of ideology in politics, and it's that, that and it's a very like, idealistic and utopian ideology, of course, you know, socialism and all that. It's that that led him to you know, be the brutal dictator that, that he was, because he saw himself as being, you know, an, an instrument of almost an almost inevitable historical um, process leading eventually to some kind of uh, human uh, human utopia. So so the the answer to the question is, Stalin did all the bad stuff because he was a bad person, a nasty person, although he was certainly a reprehensible character in many ways. He did it because of his politics and ideology. That's the key thing to understand. Wow. Hey, um, I am curious, did you see the motion picture with Steve Buscemi, Death of Stalin? 
I, I, you know what? I, I tried to watch it and I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. You weren't into because, it because you know I, I, I because I know so much of about the topic and about what happened when Stalin died and all the characters that you know. I start watching the film and I'm immediately judging as his story and I'm saying, no, that's not right. That's inaccurate. That didn't happen. He didn't say that. He wasn't like that at all. You're getting completely wrong. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I just found it uh, impossible. Got it. Got uh, it. I understand watch. that. Well, that I'm was my... Up, and lots of people I know, uh, you know, uh, like the film and find it very amusing and all that kind of thing and, and I, I'm, not, I'm sure they're right. Just, well, that, that was my question I, about... I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get beyond my own historical knowledge. Understandable. <laughs> I, well, that was my question question about the level of historical accuracy in that film yeah. and it seems like it was not that great uh, no, no although as i say i you know I, I didn't get very far into watching the film understood. I, 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 I stopped watching uh, you know, but yeah but i'm sure if i was to go through it and dissect it yeah we'll be talking about lots and lots of mistakes but look, look it, it's a film you know, it's it's actually a fiction, really, isn't right, it? You know, right, right. It's, it's, so, so you know, obviously, you, I, I don't you don't expect it to be that accurate, and it's going to make mistakes. It's going to be wrong. It's about drama and it's dramatization and stuff, stuff like that. So, you know, um, I, I, you know, I'm not condemning the film because it doesn't uh, you know meet my standards of his, his history. It's just that you know, as a historian, I found it difficult to watch because uh, of my knowledge of the topic. Totally understandable. You had a, a terrific column this week looking at some of the frequent World War II analogies that are made these days with respect to uh, Russia and um, and Vladimir Putin. L- let's start, before we get into the specifics of the World War II analogies and their accuracy or inaccuracy, what's the matter with using World War II analogies all the time? Certainly World War II was one of the most deadly conflicts, one of the most noteworthy conflicts in the history of human civilization. Doesn't it make some sense to constantly refer back to that to see what historical parallels may exist to the present day? No, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. You know, as a historian of you know, of recent history, I'm mean, actually in the business of not just writing about the past, but also utilizing the past uh, as a way to illuminate the present and maybe to help understand what might be coming in the future. So, you know, so there's nothing wrong in principle with it. But you know, the analogies have to be appropriate; they have to be uh, 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 correct, and, and that's the problem in relation to the Ukraine war. There are actually many, many very interesting um, analogies between you know, the Second World War and um, uh, you know, the current Russian-Ukraine war, particularly uh, in, in, in the military military sphere. You know, in many ways, uh, you know, the, 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 the conflict on, between Russia and Ukraine going on is very much a kind of World War II-type military, military struggle. So, yeah, there are lots of comparisons, lots of interesting, interesting things. Um, but, you know, but like you, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I got, the reason I wrote that article, apart from the fact that I like... Um, uh, Stephen Kinzer's idea of this, you know, this 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 club that he was setting up of uh, you know to abolish World War Two analogies. But like you, I was kind of sick of all these references to Hitler and to Neville Chamberlain uh, and, and to appease him. And I went to scream, no, that's wrong. You don't understand. You don't understand Hitler. You don't understand Chamberlain. You don't understand. You don't understand appeasement. And most of all, you don't understand Putin. You know, Putin. He's not. He's not even a Chamberlain, nor 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 is nor nor is and it's wrong. So that's why I wrote that article. So the, yeah, there's a terrific it's, article. It's called "The Ukraine War and the Hitler Analogy." I've just posted it on my Facebook page. People can read it. Facebook.com. Frank. Yes. 
Frank, there's, there's another really important uh, point I need to make in. Well, this is the real reason I made it. You need to think to yourself, why is there all this kind of stuff in, in the media about Hitler and Chamberlain appeasement, all this kind of stuff? Why is that stuff in the media? It's because it's being used by Western hardliners to escalate Western involvement in, in the Russian-Ukraine war. And that's a very, very dangerous trend. Right? So, so I, I, I'm kind of pushing back against this a particular kind of you know sure. propaganda and, and no. arguments, I, which are actually pushing us in a very, very dangerous direction. Yeah, no, no, agreed, agreed. Agreed, and let me just, if people want to read this article, they can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash moranofan, uh, facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. Let's begin with the Chamberlain comparison. Every time that I'm on the radio or have a guest on the radio, it doesn't matter how accomplished the guest is in the field of military or academia or policy, whatever, uh, whenever they say we need to pursue some sort of diplomatic approach to ending this conflict, immediately I am deluged with people making Neville Chamberlain references, the reference being that Chamberlain appeased Hitler and that allowed Hitler to be emboldened and to go on an invasion spree. What's wrong with that Chamberlain analogy? Well, I, I, what's wrong with it is that, 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 that Hitler, well, there's lots of things wrong with it, but the, the first thing is that Hitler was intent on an invasion spree, you know, whatever, whatever Chamberlain uh, did. And actually, to a certain extent, Chamberlain uh, was, was, was aware, aware of that. You, know, you have to understand, you know, the purpose of Chamberlain's appeasement of Hitler was to prevent or at least delay uh, an, an, another, an, another world war, and actually it succeeded. You know, he, he, you know, by by agreeing to the dismemberment of Czechoslovakia in 1938, he did head off an immediate kind of confrontation uh, with Hitler and an, and an immediate world war. And there were lots of historians who, in retrospect, would say that wasn't such a bad thing. And certainly at the time, you know, Chamberlain was a hero. You know, he was seen as the man who had saved the peace, saved the world from 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 uh, from, 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 from another world war. Appeasement was seen to have worked. Now, it, it, and it did work, right? but it didn't work in the long run because of who uh, Chamberlain uh, was dealing with. He was dealing with Hitler, he was dealing with with Nazism, dealing with a political leader who had this kind of racist ideology, a militaristic kind of ideology, who was intent. On, uh, on, on, on acting intent, of, uh, in fact, on a new world war, uh, out of the ashes of which will become um, a, 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 a great, a great Germany, and also um, and the triumph of the of, of the of the Aryan people, and, and all that kind of thing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, let's talk about appeasement. The conventional wisdom, especially how it's used these days with respect to Putin and others, is that appeasement is always wrong and will always embolden poor international behavior. Is that true? Is appeasement always wrong as a foreign policy strategy? 
No, and, and in that, and, no, it's not. It's not always wrong. Sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. And in this particular case, the case we're talking about, the Russia-Ukraine war, it would have been actually the right policy to pursue uh, because, <clears throat> the point I'm making in the article, is in the run-up to the, to, to the war of Ukraine, run-up to his invasion of Ukraine, Putin wanted to be appeased by by the West, yeah, he wanted to find some kind of peaceful settlement of of the Ukraine uh, of Ukraine of the Ukraine issue. He wanted to find some way to um, protect uh, Russia's security and in, uh, um, interests without recourse to war. He was, and in fact, he was desperate to be appeased. Uh, and in fact, he was constantly under attack by Russian nationalist hardliners who were saying that you no, know, they were actually they were actually accusing Putin of being an appeaser, an appeaser of the West, and they were right. saying he should take a stronger stand. He shouldn't. He shouldn't be frightened uh, of these Western threats. You know, the kind of mirror image of the kind of arguments you find uh, being being thrown <laughs> from. The other side. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Jeffrey Roberts. He's a historian, a biographer, a political commentator in the UK, an academic, and uh, he is the author of uh, of several books, including Stalin's Library, A Dictator and His Books. Let's talk about the uh, Putin-Hitler analogy. As the saying goes, Putin's defense for going to war with Ukraine was in part to uh, protect ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. A lot of people love to say that, um, you know, a, a lot of Hitler and Nazi Germany's rationale for their initial militarism was uh, protecting the Germanic people and uniting the Germanic people under the flag of Germany. Is Putin the new Hitler? Well, I, I, I think that you know, the fundamental reason that uh, you know, Putin went to war, why he invaded Ukraine, uh, was because he was concerned about NATO's military buildup of, of Ukraine. He was concerned about Ukraine being turned into um, you know, a, a Western enclave on Russia's borders, which at some point uh, in the future would actually threaten Russian security interests fund, fund, fundamentally, including the possibility that uh, extreme Ukrainian nationalists would actually um, would, would provoke, provoke a war between Russia, uh, Russia and NATO. So, so it, it was a decision for what I call preventative war. So it was preemptive action in order to avert what Putin saw as being uh, a, a huge military threat in the future. And, and, and some of your listeners might recall is that you know, when, you know, when, when, when uh, the Bush administration invaded uh, Afghanistan and then um, uh, Iraq, the fundamental justification for, for that was, well, this is preemptive action. These are, to use this word exactly, these are preventative wars because if we don't invade uh, Afghanistan, we don't invade Iraq, then we're going to have a much bigger problem uh, problem in the future. So, so that kind of reason, that kind of thinking is what is what I think informed uh, Putin's decision uh, to go to war. Yeah, uh, there, there was also the, the ethnic factor of, uh, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, Putin's very concerned about uh, Ukrainian nationalist ethnic discrimination against pro-Russian elements uh, in, in, in Ukraine itself. Uh, yeah, and that, that was definitely part of the reason. And also that, that particular aspect of it, the ethnic dimension, uh, I think has become stronger as, 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 the, as the war has gone on. Let me end with so this. That, that, that's, that's another important point, is that, you know, okay, Putin begins the war for certain reasons, but continues it for others. His reasons for continuing Understood. Understood. And his goals in relation to the war uh, are, are, do actually change. So actually, Putin's got initial goals when he launched an invasion in relation to Ukraine are actually quite limited. But 
those goals have been radicalised because the war has, has dragged on for so long, because it's cost so much, and also, above all, because, OK, what Putin envisaged was a war with Ukraine to secure his um, security guys. But what he got, actually, more importantly, he got a proxy war with the West right. and, and, and with NATO. It's another fundamentally important point. This war would have been over months ago. Hundreds of thousands of people's lives would have been saved. Yeah had it not been for Western uh, support for, you, for, uh, for, for Ukraine. Yeah. So, OK, so I say it's a better slogan. Yeah, Putin started the war, but it's the West that continued the war. Well said. And actually, uh, in order to end the war, it's the West and Putin need to make some kind of a deal to bring peace to Ukraine. Yeah, let's hope that happens. Dr. Roberts, I'm going to have to end it there, but uh, I'd love for you to come back and uh, we can continue to discuss this and some other foreign policy issues as well. Thanks very much for the conversation, Frank. Thank you, Dr. Jeffrey Roberts. You want to be heard for 15 seconds, you can do so at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.